uh, the heart of Jesus. So you can imagine I'm going to go back there. And I've always said that these attributes do not build on top of each other. But I have been really... It's been about three to four months that the Lord convicted me of something that I'm struggling with in my own life. And I realized without this attribute, I cannot have joy. I cannot have compassion. I cannot have anything unless I have contentment. And contentment is a whole lot more than money and things. Without contentment, I can't have the joy of the Lord. Without contentment, I can't show compassion for anyone else. Without contentment, I cannot, <coughs> I cannot accept the, we're going to talk about the teacup, but I cannot <coughs> accept my portion in life because my portion in life is going to look different than your portion in life, Courtney, and your portion in life, Linda. God has given us his portion for us. It's our sufficiency. But if I'm not content in what my role in is in life, I cannot have the joy of the Lord. I cannot, I will have anxiety. I will have worry. I will not sleep at night. I will, I will be, I, I will be grumpy. I will, I will push my children into places I should not push them until I can be content with everything that I have. And we know that Christ had this attribute in his life, in everything. He was content to go to the cross. And so if he was content to take such a large trial, there is no trial in life that I will face that is equivalent <coughs> to the cross. But that was Christ's portion, and he took it, and he was content in it. He did say, may this cup pass from me, but that was not sin. What he was, he, he was expressing, we all needed to see, I believe in that moment, that Christ too had to be filled with the Spirit in order to go to the cross because it was too much for his body. We are going to face things in life that are too much for us. But we can look at someone else. The Bible says, do not compare ourselves among ourselves because we can look at someone else's life and be like, why is she having such a hard time? That's really no big deal. But to that other person, it is a very big deal. And no matter what trial we face, if we, uh, we have talked about this, and I am not going to go over the whole thing about the Holy Spirit. We know all this, that it's not us doing the work. There is nothing I can do. I cannot make myself content. God working through me, the Holy Spirit working through me is what makes me content. So let's turn to Luke 12, 22 through 31. Luke 12, 22. I think we will find that everything in life that we face, that we struggle with, all goes back to our contentment. Everything. Um, and this is what the Lord has really convicted me in, in any area that I struggle I'm not being content first. So Luke 22 verse, oh no, Luke 12, I'm sorry, Luke 12, 22. I probably said that first and then I get confused myself. All right. 
So, and he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for the body, what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add a stature, add to a stature one cubit? I can't. I've tried. <laughs> if then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take you thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. Yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the, clothed the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe, ye, clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. We often look at this scripture and say this is talking about our food, our raiment, because it does talk about that. But it's everything. Because the lilies, it says right here, the lilies, consider how they grow. They toil not. They don't do anything. They do nothing. Yet God does everything to make them beautiful. Everything. From the watering to the planting to everything. God is taking care of the lilies. And um, all their job is, is to stand up and look beautiful for him. And to bring glory to him. That's the same thing God is saying right here. That's what we are to do. I think that all of us, we all could think of someone. I am going to tell you about a lady named Meredith. And I think we could all think of someone who reminds us of Meredith. She slumped into a chair and I prepared myself for another litany of her tragic life. She had asked to meet with me about how she be could become more content. Without a doubt, Mer Meredith was the most negative person I'd ever met. She even looked negative. What we are on the inside, what we continually think about, eventually shows in our words, actions, and even on our countenances. Meredith's posture and facial expression plainly revealed that she lived her own private interpretation of Philippians 4.8. Finally, Meredith, whatsoever is untrue, whatsoever is dishonest, whatsoever is unjust, whatsoever is impure, whatsoever is unlovely, whatsoever is not of good report, if there be anything that is unvirtuous or not worthy of praise, think on those things. Meredith's life was a living translation of her negative thinking. But ironically, many women would have traded lives with Meredith in an instant. Her life was far from tragic. She was blessed with good health, a petite figure, figure that stayed that way without any effort, a husband who loved her, two adorable children, and even new furniture her husband had recently purchased to make her happy. I asked Meredith why she was so unhappy when God had given her so many good things. Without hesitation, she spouted off her complaints. First, God hadn't given her a house. She wanted her own home. 
She deserved it. And her husband? Yes, he loved her, but she hadn't realized his many faults before she married him. Yes, her children were adorable, but they were also negative and complaining. Hmm, I wonder why. <laughs> Meredith was like a horse with blinders on, only seeing the dirty road straight ahead. She never raised her gaze upward to God or counted her blessings. She had a blurred perspective, an unholy habit of discontentment. Now, while Meredith was convinced her easy life was difficult, Ella's life was truly one long series of hardships. Now, Ella's testimony was in the bulletin a couple of weeks ago. Ella had a holy habit of contentment. Her vision was clear and she lived with eternal perspective. What do I mean by perspective? According to Webster's dictionary, the term suggests looking through, seeing clearly, the capacity to view things in their true relation of relative importance. I like to think of perspective as a way of seeing. An eternal perspective then is God's way of seeing. When we have God's perspective, we view our lives and evaluate what is important from his viewpoint. This is, that's what Ella did. Along with her husband and children, Ella worked as a missionary with the Pygmies in Africa for four, 52 years. She had left her country, her family, and all that was familiar. Primitive doesn't begin to describe her living conditions in the scorching heat and humidity of the African bush. But Ella found no relief because electricity, air conditioning, and other modern conveniences were only a dream. Some days it was so unbearably hot that she had to bring the thermometer inside because it couldn't register past 100 degree, 120 degrees without breaking. Ella's daughter Mimi once found her journal because she had always wondered how she had lived a life of contentment with her circumstances and why she never complained. In her mother's diary, she read Ella's prescription for contentment. Never allow yourself to complain about anything, not even the weather. Never picture yourself in any other circumstances or someplace else. Never compare your lot with another's. Never allow yourself to wish this or that had been otherwise. Never dwell on tomorrow. Remember that tomorrow is God's, not ours. If we look at that, I know that I am guilty of some of these things. They, these words ought to shame us. They really ought to. Because there is no one in this room that doesn't. We haven't reached perfection yet, ladies. We complain. Whether we complain out loud because we've been taught not to complain, we shouldn't complain, it's a sin. But how many times do we complain to God? Oh God, I wish you would change my circumstances. I wish it wasn't this way. Could you just fix my husband already? <laughs> we complain about our kids not being motivated enough. We complain about our husbands not doing enough. We have this honeydew list that is impossible to, to ever reach. Our appliances are not good enough in our house. We may complain because we do not have children. We may complain because we do not have 
Well, someone else's husband sure looks better than our husband right now. Did you see that he vacuumed the floor yesterday? You didn't do that. But we take all of this and we, we think it. We won't say it. We will not say it because we're too good of Christians. But it sure robs our joy. And it causes us to respond incorrectly because we do not have the perspective that God has. How could Ella not complain of the weather when the per the i mean i'm i'm sorry i don't like to sweat she would have been sweating she would have been, it been dripping off of her i personally don't like 120 degrees i don't think anyone else in here likes 120 degrees frankly i also don't like negative 40 degrees but did god make the weather and he has a purpose for all of it um if we didn't have winter we would never have spring. And, but the other day we were at the library with my children and they were having story time. And she brought out this beautiful book talking about spring. I will never own that book because at the very end of the book, the words were, it was talking about wishing for spring, wishing for spring, being excited for spring. And now it says, but now you need to wish for something else. You need to wish for summer. But isn't that how we live our lives? On a daily basis, we're always looking for spring. Spring hits and then we're like, well, can the wind stop now? Can it get warmer? I want warmer. <laughs> and can it stop raining? Well, then it gets to summer. Now what are we wishing for? Autumn. We're always wishing for something else. And before we know it, our whole lives are gone with this, all this wishing. We can wish that our children would hurry up and grow up. But then when they grow up, we want them to get small again. If we are not careful, we spend our entire lives wishing for what we do not have. Rather than being content right now in the moment and looking for the, the, the things that God has given us and seeing right now, it's spring. So now it's going to rain. We know that. There's going to be wind. We live next to the ocean. But what can we see with the rain? It's going to bring green grass. It's going to bring beautiful flowers. Without those things, we won't have those things. But we're so busy complaining about them that we don't see the blessing in what we consider a trial. Some of the most beautiful stories of redemption and of people growing in the Lord. You see these people that have just this wonderful faith and they trust the Lord so much. But if you go backwards and see their story, it's ugly. It's horrible. We would not want to go through their story. But we complain during our story. And then we want God to make us so beautiful and godly. But unless we get through these little trials, we talked about Stephanie Wesco. I don't want her trial. But God has something beautiful planned through her trial. I haven't wanted some of the trials that I've had. None of us want to sit in outpatients for 10 plus hours. None of us do. We don't. But that's little. It's such a little trial. It's not that big of a deal. But we, in our minds, make it into this ginormous deal when God is using it for a very specific purpose. Becky, you didn't want your kids to be in the NICU and born early, but God used that. God used that trial to teach you something. 
You've gone through a lot of hard things, Charlotte. You keep falling and breaking bones. You don't want to go through that. But God has used it. I have seen you become. God has used your trials that you've gone through in this last year. And I have seen God make such a beautiful, content person out of all of it. You have changed so much in the year that you've been with us. It's amazing. But you would not have asked for those trials. There is not a single person in here that would ask for the trials that we go through. But if we look at those trials from God's eternal perspective and stop complaining about them in our minds because we wouldn't dare utter it, we could learn so much more. Maybe the reason we have to keep going through these trials is because we spend the whole time complaining and we learn nothing through it. And I'm going to tell you right now, This series on contentment has slammed me so many times. I have, there are so many times when I've looked at it and I've been like, oh Lord, I have so far to go. The more the Lord shows us, the less worthy we should become. And the more we will see. <laughs> what made Ella's everyday focus so different than Meredith's? What was her, what, what made it so different? Exactly. Her eyes were fixed on eternity. There's a bigger picture than us, ladies. There's a way bigger picture than us. It's eternity. My tomorrows belong to God. Your tomorrows belong to God. We have to give them to him, no matter what we face. Because all of Ella's tomorrows were nestled in God's strong arms, she was free to live today. One day at a time, she could make the right choice and grow to possess the holy habit of contentment. Ella's focus was eternal, and her focus led to an eternal contentment. I just finished a book called Hope Heals, and it's about Catherine Wolf, who um, had a stroke. She, they found, it's called, I believe, AMT. Um, not everybody, it, it's genetic. She was born with it. Um, and it was at right at the base of her neck. And at 26 years old, she had a stroke and it burst. There was only one doctor willing to operate on her. And even then, they did not think she would live. The operation was 16 hours long. And they never believed that she would walk again. She would never swallow. She would never talk. She'd most likely be in a vegetative state. That was not the case. God, she's, she's paralyzed on her right side. Um, so she learned how to swallow. She learned how to walk. She had a six-month-old baby at the time that she was exclusively breastfeeding. When she finally woke up, she could not understand why someone else was holding her baby, and she wanted her baby so bad. They made it through this trial. They were trusting the Lord. They went in at, she was 28 years old. They went in for a routine check up to check her brain and they found an aneurysm on her left side her husband said the thought came through my mind we've already we've had our share of trials we've had our human share of trials why should we have more give it to someone else and then he thought god's not done with our story 
we can look at their story and be like, in their faith, and they have been able to reach so many people now with their story. Thousands of people know of their story, and they're helping stroke victims and their families today because of their story. And um, she is, she, they, she's gotten pregnant. She has another baby now. And the Lord has used them. But they had to go through so much. And they had to find contentment in Christ. They had to put their eyes on the Lord. And they couldn't have done it if they kept their eyes on their circumstances. In my house is the song um, on the wall above my piano is, All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Um, yeah. And I was looking at it this morning and I thought, do we actually mean those words? Do we actually really mean them or do we just sing them? And then, um, there's the song, take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless complaining, praise, praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing, always only for my king. Take my lips and let them say whatever we want them to say. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, hmm, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and let me have it and do whatever I want. No, take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine throne. It shall be thy, it is thy own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord I pour, at thy feet is its treasure store. Take myself, and I will be ever only all for me. No, thee. Ever only all for thee. But do we mean it the way that it was written? Because when we sing it, are we actually meaning the words? Because our life proves what we mean by that song. And I think if we were all honest we don't actually always mean those words and contentment happens on the inside Ella possessed a soul sufficiency a peace that separated her from her circumstances most of us base our contentment on our circumstances our feelings or on other people however true contentment is separate from our circumstances. Contentment is a state of the heart, not a state of affairs. When I say that I believe contentment is the most important thing, if you were to take this cover to cover, the one theme you will see throughout all of scripture, it's contentment. What did the children of Israel struggle with? Contentment. And one breath, these men, and they, they were building the tabernacle. They were building the tabernacle and, the, and God called them wise-hearted men and women. Not but a few years later, a few chapters later, what are they doing? 
murmuring and complaining. The very t people who built the tabernacle of God, they're murmuring and complaining. They never get to see the promised land. But how often do we not get to see the promises of God and the faithfulness of God because we do the exact same thing? But that's contentment. We see Christ having contentment. He didn't have a home. He didn't even worry about the shoes on his feet or the clothes on his back. He knew that God would supply all his needs. He did, it didn't matter to him. It didn't matter that he had the most up-to-date appliances. Let's face it, us ladies like our kitchen appliances and we like them to work. And when they don't work, and they don't work right, what do we do? We have a tendency to complain. And... Murmur. Yes! Lord, can't you just fix this? Don't you know we spent a lot of money on it? He doesn't care. I mean, he cares. He cares about us and he cares about our things, but hold on, we have way more than we need. Ella and many of our African missionaries don't have all these modern conveniences. We have what's called first world problems. We have no idea what it's like to live in a third world country. Then you have Paul's life. He had trial after trial after trial. They tried to kill him for goodness sake. They did kill him. But he had contentment. Let's go to Philippians 4, 11 through 13. <clears throat> you can't talk about contentment and not go to Philippians. The whole book is about contentment. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all, and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I think all of us have this verse in our, in our homes. <laughs> But how often do we live that? Or do we live, I can do all things through me, which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through focusing on me, which strengtheneth me. A look at Paul's life reveals how amazing these verses are. His life was full of anything but positive circumstances. He wrote them while imprisoned in a dark, dreary dungeon without sanitation, heat, or exercise equipment. Hmm. Elements that are part of our prison systems. They weren't when Paul was in prison. He was chained to a guard. He was lonely. I'm sure there were times he wondered if all his work for Christ really mattered. He was human. He would have human thoughts. Paul lived an extremely difficult life. He was beaten almost to death, constantly misunderstood, deserted by friends, on a shipwreck. Paul's life was anything but perfect and controlled. Yet he said in verse 11, For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. To me, that is an incredible statement. Do we know in whatever state we are in that we are to be content? Can we say that? Can I say that? Does our lives show it? More importantly, can we say it with our lips? Does our lives show it? Because as good Christians, of course, whatever state I am in, I'm going to be content. 
but are we actually content in our minds? Contentment can be learned. This means you and I can learn to be content. Paul followed his extraordinary declaration about having learned to be content in all all circumstances with the secret of how. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. If you were to literally take this from the Greek, which the Greek could be wrong. I mean, the Greek that, because I don't speak Greek. I am able to face anything by the one who makes me able to do it. Anything. I am able to face anything by the one who makes me able to do it. Have you ever wondered why this verse immediately follows Paul's bold statements about contentment? Paul recognized that the source and strength of all our contentment is God himself. Because I cannot be content unless I have my eyes focused on the Lord and the Holy Spirit's dwelling inside me and I am surrendered to the Holy Spirit. At all times, in all circumstances, Christ is able and willing to provide the strength we need to be content. All we have to do is claim it. Lord, your contentment. Lord, your strength. Not my contentment, because my contentment is not good. Contentment occurs when Christ's strength is infused into my weak body, soul, and spirit. To infuse means to pour, fill, soak, or extract. Kind of like a tea bag. Without a tea bag, hot water does not taste that great. And... The best way to get the tea to taste the best is not to use lukewarm water, is not to use hot water, is to use boiling water. I'm not sure the tea bag really appreciates that. But in order for us to fully be content and able to lean on the Lord, we have to go through the boiling water process. Because often, I hear this phrase a lot. God must God will never give me more than I can handle. Oh, baloney! If God can only get God, if God is only going to give you what you can handle, then your life's going to be a piece of cake because it's not about me handling my life. It, I can do all things through Christ, so He's going to give me more than I can handle. I don't have to handle it. God does, but until I face contentment, I'm not willing to give it to God to to give me the strength to get through it. And the tea bag analogy gets worse because the tea doesn't dip in and dip out. No, it stays in there. Sit there. Yep. (laughs) Yes, it's got to soak it all in. It's not a quick bathing process. Oh, that hurt. I'm gonna get out. No, it's got to stick there until it's it's flavored the water to what it's supposed to be. And you drink it with a tea bag in sometimes. Yes, yes, and so it stays there the whole time. You have to be so careful because all of this begins even before the point, because when we look at our lives, we have to actually say, we have to acknowledge that not only did God do all this in us as finished people, Mm -hmm. but God had to at some point give us the recognition that all the things that we have acquired up to this point are gifts from him. Yep. Our intellect is a gift from God. 
are we using it in, in a way that's going to lead us to a position where we can do more for him? Are we being wise with the resources that he gives us, our intellect, our family even? Yep. Am I using, am I in, in, interacting with my family in a way that is um, the, the way that God would have me do it? And, I mean, some of my family is lost. Like you say, we've got all these lost members of our family. And is, is that resource that God gave me, am I using that? It's so, it goes so broad. It, it really does. It, it, it is a very broad statement. And God gives us, he doesn't, like the tea bag, we put the tea bag in once and it flavors, you throw away the tea bag. The tea bag's never used again. But God dips us into trials again and again and again because, so we learn. But one trial is preparing us for the next trial, preparing us for the next trial. We don't start off as baby Christians suddenly thrown, most of the time, suddenly thrown into this trial that we cannot handle without his grace. He gives us them. He grows us through. All the trials that we face in our life are meant to grow us through that time. And our, all our trials look different because we're not all the same. We're not all the same teacup. We're not all the same muffin. This is where my muffin comes in. What? What is, do you take this, the best banana muffins? Are they made with that perfect yellow looking banana? The old nasty looking bananas that you're like, I don't even want to touch it. But those are the best tasting banana muffins. They have the nastiest bananas. But when making muffins, so you have the banana muffin, but I can't make a lemon poppy seed muffin with a banana. I might use, I could possibly use it for uh, fat content, but I can't use it. I can't use it to make a lemon muffin. I can't use a lemon to make a banana muffin. I can't use a blueberry to make a banana muffin. God has, we're, you could look at us all like a muffin. Uh -oh. <laughs> Everybody's being used in a different capacity. We do not all have the same talents in this church. So God wants to use us in different ways. But I can look at, I can look at one of somebody else and be like, man, I wish I had their talent. Wait a minute. And this is what we do. We do have the tendency to look at one another and be like, man, I really wish I had that. Or we see somebody else's child. Lily did amazing yesterday. Mm -hmm. Lily is extremely talented. Very gifted. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that every piano player in this church is going to be a Lily. Because not everybody has Lily's talent. Not everyone is going to be able to do what Lily. I mean, Lily is amazing. But I cannot go home and tell my children that they need to be like Lily. Sam's not going to be like Lily. She can't, Becky can't go home and say to Amelia, I want you to be as good as Lily. Well, Amelia may not have the talent that Lily has. Amelia has a different talent. I cannot tell Jubilee that she's got to do exactly like Gracie. Gracie's my firstborn. She's going to do things way differently than my fourthborn child. And I can't, but we as parents, even in the church, we do this to children all the time. Look at so-and-so, look how good they sit. Oh, 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 you just compared a child with a child. Bad, 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 bad. You know why? Because we're comparing, we, we say, 
don't compare yourselves among yourselves. And then we go and tell our children, look at so-and-so, look how good they sit. Wait a minute, you just compared. We can't even compare our own children in our homes to each other. But we certainly can't be comparing ladies. I can't walk into the church and be like, Mel, you really gotta get your act together. Go act like Becky. You can't, I can't do that, that's wrong. <laughs> but you can't even think that way because God made you. It's not a good thing for you to act like Becky. It's a good thing for you to become what God wants Mel to become. And it's a good thing for Becky to become what Becky, and God hasn't, isn't finished yet, but I have to be finished. <laughs> so God isn't finished with us. But our biggest thing is, is we often put our perspective where it should not be. We have to have an eternal perspective. And um, I don't know when I'll get to finish ever, but someday. So we will pray and be dismissed. Uh, Hilda, will you close us in prayer, please?